This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So our theme scripture for this year is um, really seeking the kingdom of God. Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But seek first the kingdom of God means first primarily your focus seek the kingdom of God it's in the context of people worrying being anxious and the Lord says he'll add all things to you but in this time of COVID but seek first the kingdom of God but not just the kingdom of God and the righteousness and his righteousness so we've been speaking the past couple of weeks if you're visiting us you're more than welcome on what does that mean what does it practically mean tomorrow when you walk into that place where you study when you walk into your working place when you walk into your marriage what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of god and um, so we've looked at what it is what is the kingdom jesus said the kingdom is not out there it doesn't come through observation it doesn't come from looking to the outside the first the kingdom starts inside it's righteousness peace love joy in the holy spirit Romans said it, and we looked at those scriptures, that it must, the kingdom comes here where the king rules, uh, where the king reigns in our hearts and then through our lives, in our, into our communities, into the people around us. And it's so exciting to see that there's a whole generation of people that are standing up and saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. When Jesus is king and Lord of your life, the word for lordship is kuros, which means master, owner, possessor. It means he's got access, right Everything he demands of me, I will do. He is not here to serve me. I'm here to serve him. I'm here to be a worshiper. I'm here to make his glory and his name known. There's too much consumerism happening in the church. Too much comfort. And uh, the challenge is God, Ulrich, is not interested in your comfort. Not at all. (laughs) And uh, so we looked over the past couple of weeks. I imagine if uh, Jesus is our main intercessor, what would he pray for you, Bernard? Uh, Lord, give him a nice BMW. No, no, we are praying about the arranged marriage date, and we've already set that for December this year. Okay, so just pitch. That's all. That's a joke. That's a joke. But um, Lord, give me a wife, then I'll serve you. Lord, give me a this, then I'll serve you. Lord, so many of our prayers are around ourselves. But when we start to ask, Lord, what are you praying for me? And when I look at the prayers that Paul is praying for people, and if you missed out this morning, we spoke specifically in Ephesians 5 from chapter 3 where he talks about relationships and what he prays. He says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may open, that you may be enlightened, that you may see God and that you would live in that space where his kingdom comes in your life. He prays profound prayers and go and look in scripture what he prays and begin to pray that for your friends. So we saw that in Matthew 6.33. Your father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so then we progressed. So I'm catching up. How many of you were at the Baptist church last Sunday evening? One, two, three, seven, eight, nine. Okay, so you were all going to hear some of it again. But um, we are going to progress. Don't worry. But they say you must hear it seven times. Jürgens? Okay. Jürgens has heard this sermon 40 times because I've preached at him since he was in grade 10. And um, now things are finally happening. Hallelujah. Second Timothy 1 verse 1 to 7. So um, the heart of Paul 
And the heart of these prayers is quite different. And when you and I can live in that space, our lives will change. The way we pray for each other. And you know what? That's why I found over all the, the years that um, the people that prayed together stayed together. The, people, the families that prayed together stayed together. I've had a lot of well-meaning Christians. But they come in, never pray together. They, that's where unity is formed. It's not by our doctrine. It's when we press into the Spirit together, when we hear the voice of God together, when we understand that Urich isn't just Urich, you know? When Urich dropped his sister Talita here for internship, and most of the time he had a hangover. And then Talita would come and cry and say, Talita's not here. I think she's at the Baptist church. She's here on the other side, yeah. She knew I was going to tell this story. But so, um, yeah, then she'll cry and say, my brother is so wayward. He's walking away from the Lord. And Uri will just stop there. Uri will just greet like, he'll never come in. I think there's once when you came to the stoop here, when you had to knock and you almost banged down the door. Yeah, And then was, Talita will come in and say, Lord, save Uri. <laughs> For almost a year, eh, that she just and she was just faithful in praying. And look here, today he's sitting here and leading the worship. And you think like, Hallelujah, Lord! The Lord answers prayers. I mean, so each one of us have got a testimony because somebody maybe stood in the gap for you. And so Paul writes this in Second Timothy one, beautiful. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. So he says, Timothy, I'm writing this letter to you. You are my beloved son. It's just not just like a, just a son or a, or a project. He says, I really love you. Timothy, you need to know that. He's writing as a father to this young man that he's been intimidated by his circumstances. He's uh, stepping out into the call of God for his life. And people are criticizing. People are negative because he's too young. He's too this. He's too that. And so... It says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I love how he starts chapters. Paul says, grace and mercy and peace be unto you. Isn't that amazing when you can speak blessing over somebody, you know? The grace of the Lord be upon you. May you be the head and not the tail. May he make his crooked places straight and lift up the valleys and lower the mountains before you. You know, we have the power right here in our mouths to speak life. But you know what? We also have... The power in these mouths to kill and to destroy. And through our mouths, that's what James says, is he, it's the rudder of the ship. It gives direction to your life. We worship God, but do we then curse people around us? So put a God in front of your mouth every day because you have the ability to speak life and never speak bad about other people. I said it this morning. You have no right to talk about somebody else and say something about them if you have not prayed for them. I get lots of people that come to me and say, you know, see us, um, I am not slandering, but I just have to tell you. It's almost like somebody saying, I really just have to tell you, I want to sell you this product, but it's not a pyramid scheme. Whenever they say that, it's a pyramid scheme, yeah? <laughs> they say like, hey, I don't want to, I, I just, you know, I'm going to pick on Bernard tonight, so hallelujah, Bernard, hold on to your seat. You know, I, I but have you noticed that Bernard, you know, he's, he's growing that moustache and, you know, it's not actually looking that good. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just really concerned that, that Bernard is losing focus because of that moustache, you know. And, um, and, 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 you know, you know I, I don't want to say any bad thing about him, but do you know what I do? 
I say, okay, whatever you're saying to me right now, can I take you to Bernard? Will you say to Bernard while I'm there? There's a lot of stuff happening sometimes in Christians' lives that is just skinnering. You know? But you have no right to talk about somebody if you've not prayed for them. Because our heart is God's heart is restoration. Even if somebody has sinned, how do we talk about people? And you know, they, they, they brought out this big thing, American gospel. How many of you have seen it? You know, a group of reformed theologians and people that know more what they're against than what they're standing for. But um, there's a lot of stuff that is true there. But uh, one of the guys that they interviewed on this or spoke about or against at the, in the American gospel, sort of like a movie on all the bad stuff that's happening in the church. One of the guys said this, and um, it really shocked me because I realized like this is really the truth. He said, if these people made a bad movie about me, but you know what? They never came to interview me. They never came to speak to me, ask what's my opinion. They, put, they took little snippets of me and told the whole world, this is what I say. But that's not even so bad. You know what's the worst for me? I really don't think that these people want me to be restored. I actually think they want me to go to hell. You see, if we speak the truth because we want to speak the truth, or if we hang on to doctrine but there's no love, we will destroy. Paul says, I don't come to you in eloquence of speech, but I come to you in demonstration of the power of the gospel. Some people just want to speak the truth because they want to destroy people with the truth. But there's no love. There's, you don't want to be restored. You don't want to restore that person to Christ then you have no right to speak the truth, even your doctrine. Some people just want to speak love, but they don't want to speak the truth. You're exactly the same. Tolerance, love, I, I just love you to hell. <laughs> Isn't that true as well? Because we should know the truth, and the truth shall set us free and sometimes make us a bit miserable. <laughs> okay? Because it's not nice to hear the truth. But you cannot have the one without the other one. And so be careful of those people because you, you can hear Tim, Paul writing to Timothy and he's releasing this. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as me and my forefathers did as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. It's such an intimate place that he speaks of. It. But he says, I pray for, he says, I pray for you day and night, day and night. So first he prays, and then the second thing he does for Timothy is he calls to remembrance. What does he call to remembrance? The genuine faith that is in you. He sees a gift inside of Timothy, and he calls it to remembrance. He says, I've, I've seen what God has done, and more than that, I've seen it in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that faith is inside of you as well. True godly friendships and kingdom friendships sees in other people what they don't see even in themselves. Calls to remembrance things inside of people that you can only get from the Holy Spirit that begins to say like, wow, I'm going to begin to treat Zizi different than what people have said over her. That's why, you know, church and marriage, the only two covenants God has called. And the only two that have institutions with it. It's sacred. It's sacred. But the two greatest things that the church... that Scripture warns of is division in the church. 
And in marriage, it's divorce. Because it's the most destructive place if you don't learn the sacredness of what God is doing. So we're not just gathering here tonight. This isn't just like a sing-along, you know. Come on, let's see if Ulrich can do it for us tonight. This is sacred. This is Jesus' church. This is the people of God gathering. This is holy. This is awesome. And it doesn't matter if you like the worship or you don't like the worship. This is God's bride. And we don't speak negatively about someone that he really loves. Ooh. Now imagine I come and Michal and Tanya, Tanya that will be preaching next week. You know, they married a couple of months and I come and I say to Michal, Michal, this Tanya, you know, you should have really like done better with her, you know. <laughs> this is not this is not such a good choice, you know. <laughs> maybe maybe um maybe just you know I ah, you know I'm not gonna even fin finish the sentence. You know, Michal comes from the States. The free states, you know, and he will destroy me <laughs> when I speak negative about his bride, his wife. But we sometimes speak stuff about the bride of Christ. Ooh, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Louise. Therefore, I remind you, the third thing that he does, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, I remind you, I pray for you. I call to remembrance, and the third thing is I remind you. I remind you. I remind you of what God has said. I remind you of those words God has spoken over your life. I remind you of the calling on your life. I want to stir inside of you, Timothy, because God has not given you a spirit of cowardice, intimidation. Fear is actually the wrong one. Please don't ever quote this verse to me and say, Oh, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but that of love, power, and a sound mind when I'm afraid. Because it's not in that context. It's in the context of Timothy standing up on the calling of God for his life. And Paul says, I stir, I, want, I remind you, you have to stir up that gift. You have to write down those words God has spoken over your life. You have to make it real in your life. And that's why you need the church. That's why you need a body of believers that don't know what they're standing against. They know what they're standing for. And when we start to agree on those things, then we're really accountable. Because even accountability is not just about keeping you out of sin. The main purpose of accountability is so that we can walk in the light together and I can remind you of the obedience of God. And when you win, Gavin, I win. <laughs> because that's what the stirring is about. It's about obedience. It's about living that life in a space that when you win, I win. If you lose, I lose. You see, and so what came in Timothy's life was a spirit of cowardice or intimidation. He says, don't be a coward, Timothy. I'll remind you, stand up. Stand on the promises of God. Stir up the gifts inside of you. Don't be intimidated by the devil or your circumstances or COVID or the economy or the government or the whatever. Don't be intimidated. Because God has placed something inside of you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? It's not an emotional thing. It's something Paul has been doing and praying over Timothy's life. And he's been stirring it up and he's calling and he's reminding. And all I'm doing now is I'm reminding you of what I preached last week. Okay, so relationships that have a purpose. We seek the kingdom of God together. You are here in Stellenbosch for a purpose. If you didn't know that, begin to ask God. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's to get a degree. No, that's just part of it. 
It's to become Christ-like. It's to learn to grow together with other believers. Learn the most powerful tool God has given you. is the tool of agreement. To stand in unity with a group of people that are different than you. That maybe your small group. People that you don't even like. But you know there's something bigger. Why God has put us together. It's not an emotional, I feel good. Because you know what? Ulrich is handsome. And it's so lucky to preach after a, after a handsome guy with socks like those. It's just amazing, you know. Because we don't like the cool people together, you know. Now it's the kingdom of God together. And once you live like that, you begin to live in another space together with other people. Because you realize it's not about just our emotional connection and how big we fellowship and how nice your bright is from the Karoo, you know, real Karoo lamb, you know. Those are all nice things. Climbing the mountains together is all nice things. Going to the mall together is all nice things. But that will never fulfill you, not even in your marriage. It's when you come together and you say, there's a purpose. There's a kingdom. I said it last week, you know, even with our children, we had three children. We still have three children. <laughs> it sounds like oh, we buried them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we have three children. And, um, and we prayed over every name. Every, even your name is so important. Many years after that, we were unpacking. And, you know, my wife likes to keep everything and... Not get rid of it and keep it and gather it and keep it, you know, because she runs the children's church. If you didn't know that, we have over 140 children in our children's church, primary school and lower. That's where the church actually happens. So, um, and so she keeps everything, even the toilet inside of the toilet rolls. Everything can be used for children's church. I cannot remove anything. I cannot throw anything in the dustbin because everything can be used. You know, So I have to pray for a storm into our garage so that some of it can be removed so that I can at least have a space for my old tennis balls or something. But in any case, so, but she, she keeps everything together. You know? And so, so one day we were unpacking, we were moving. And so yeah, gets, we get this little diary that she wrote in a second year. Because we were praying over all our kids. Now all our kids are in high school. Um, then they were in primary school. And so um, out comes this little diary that she wrote in her second year. Completely forgot about this little book. And uh, we have three children. And uh, there's, in this diary she wrote the following. Lord, one day when I get married and I have children, I would please love you to call them. Or I would love to call them Elise, Naomi and Joshua. Completely forgot about it. 20 years later, those are the names of our three kids. What's the coincidence? Huh? God knows. You know, this week I was, um, it was such a funny moment. I was talking to this one guy and I was just praying. I said, Lord, I need to give this guy a gift, you know. And so, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pray. I want to give something special to him. Obviously not an overseas trip or anything like that, but Lord, whatever it is, let it be small and let it fit into my budget. But in any case, you know, you can pray specifically. So, so I get this feeling, I must pray for this guy, you know, and I go and on Saturday, we play tennis and afterwards I said to him, do you know what, I have this th thing in my heart, I need to buy you a world map. Then the eyes goes like, what? I say, a world map. He says, not, I'm not surprised because I don't know what a world map is. But I lost my world map last year somewhere. And uh, three times this week, I actually went to the shop to go and look for a world map to remind 
me of the promises God has given me and I couldn't find one and then my wife said no you're not allowed to buy one because you lost the previous one and here you come I said I'll buy it for you you know <laughs> coincidence but see God re- wants us to remind each other of the promises God has given us so we recognize the redemptive gift of a person we remind someone encourage stir somebody to be obedient to the call of God on their lives you know some of the most amazing things that I've learned from students I'm only 29 years but being in student ministry 28 years <laughs> but in any case yeah every one of them whose lives have changed here in Stellenbosch if you didn't know that through the church here more than almost 18 20,000 students have already gone through the church all of them that come back some have lost the way, some have become a bit negative, but most of them have remained focused. All of them come back and say, those moments in the presence of God changed my life. It really humbles the pastor if they don't say, those wonderful sermons of yours, those wonderful worship songs. <laughs> the moments in the presence of God. Moments when lives turn around, when there is an importation. So just for the students, please, all working people or anybody here or anybody online, you're going to need to be very careful in the season to come as to who you listen to and what you listen to. The fact that something is on the internet doesn't mean it's from God. The fact that something is a great teaching doesn't mean it's from God. Some of us have learned the hard way through Ravi Zacharias. Where we exalt apologetics above the gospel. We exalt experience above the gospel. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I talk about. Because nobody knows the fruit of that person. So what's the answer? Know the fruit. Know the fruit. <laughs> We just picked up a switch right there. <laughs> right? So we just like, Phew! it just came out. You know? Yeah, know the fruit. Thank you for listening this morning. Know the fruit of the person. Know, ask the questions. How long have that person been in ministry? How long has that ch- do they submit to a local church? Local church is the answer to the world. Not parachurch organizations, not big TV ministries. You don't know the fruit. You don't know that person. That person, you're not going to call that person to pray for you. But you're going to call your small group leader. You're going to call the people around you that live with you, that you live in the light. And so more and more godly kingdom relationships is of essence in the kingdom of God. So stop listening to all the DVDs. Stop listening to all the big stuff. They are great stuff. They are great books. They are great stuff. But that cannot be your primary source when the Bible needs to be your primary source and godly community. And we spoke about it this morning where even everyone must come to the maturity of Christ. Ephesians 5. Where it says like, hey, don't be thrown like a wind of doctrine with every doctrine that blows in. Here in Stellenbosch, there's a lot of moves of different doctrine. Every six months, you know, the whole Reformed theology pops in. Predestination and election and no, women are not allowed to minister and all that stuff and the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit doesn't exist anymore called the cessationism and it just goes through this town like and I see how people's lives harden, their relationships gets broken down and they lose intimacy with God. 
Because all I ask those people that get deep into intellectual knowledge is, talk to me about the intimacy that you have with Jesus. Talk to me about your worship times there where you just lie on your knees and it's just you and Jesus. No, 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 but my relationship with God is intellectual pursuit. I'm not speaking against theology. But our relationship with God starts with the heart. Starts where you're broken. And you get deceived when you forget where Jesus has taken you from. <laughs> you get deceived when the cross isn't the center of our relationships and of what we believe. And so, so Paul comes, and it's so beautiful in the church. He talks about laying on of hands, which is one of our primary doctrines according to Hebrews. Where there's a commissioning and we understand the authority. There's no lone ranger in the kingdom. You know, two weeks ago, an elder of this church, somebody that's been in this church for 17 years, called me in. We sat in that office with another witness and he says, there's two or three things that I need to talk to you about. Let's sort it out. And I'm thinking like, what? I'm the pastor. You're the elder. It wasn't a big thing. We just sorted it out, hugged, went home, loved each other. And afterwards I said, thank you, Yuan Aspelung, for being a good elder, for keeping me as a pastor accountable because you know what? I need it. He was the registrar of the university, retired a year ago. Beautiful man. But I know he loves me and I know we have a relationship where he can come into my life and talk to me if there's something that he's heard or something that he doesn't agree with that I preach. Why? I hate it. But I need it. <laughs> but the problem with many of these people running around with all these international ministries, there's nobody that can sit them out down because they've become superheroes in the kingdom. We've highlighted them and their giftings above their character. In the charismatic church, we highlight people's giftings many times above their character and the fruit of their lives. And the same people that put you on that pedestal are the same people that will pluck you from that pedestal. And so even the sending of the 70 and the, it was always two by two. It was always an agreement. It was always authority. Even Paul, the great Paul, had a local church called Antioch. Every mission trip that he went on, he took somebody with him. Every time he came back, the elders of that church, he was accountable. Before Paul was released in ministry, he has this massive experience in Damascus. You know, on the Damascus road, then Jesus tells him, I'm not going to say anything more to you. What you need to go is go to the prophet. Go to the street called Straight. There a prophet will give you further instruction. No, 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 but that doesn't make sense. This is Jesus talking to Paul. And yet Jesus refers Paul to go to Damascus. <laughs> to go and find further instruction. Because from the word go, Jesus wanted Paul to understand that your calling is never just your own. God is going to surround you with other people that's going to help you together to walk into the fullness of God. From there, he finds the instruction. He goes to Arabia in the wilderness, 14 years. Whew, hardship. Then eventually, when he wants to go up to Jerusalem, do you know who takes him? Barnabas. Because <laughs> the people, James and, and all these guys, the head leadership of Jerusalem, they are so afraid of Paul. And now Barnabas goes and says, like, this guy is actually okay. I checked out his fruit. Don't be afraid. He's not going to behead you. He's, he hasn't got a special ministry for martyrdom with people around you. Come and listen to him. Barnabas was an encourager, a motivator. Because Barnabas could see in Paul what the people in Jerusalem and the leaders in Jerusalem couldn't see. 
And so because of his encouragement, he takes Paul up to, to Jerusalem and there the people lay hands on him. Wow. Set apart for ministry. They hear his testimony. There goes Paul. Then he goes to Antioch eventually. And from there, that, they become the missionary church. He's sent out, come back every time, rest there. Community of believers that pray for him on every journey. There is no, all the, all the scriptures, there's, there's absolutely no lone rangership in the kingdom of God. <laughs> It's a place of agreement and it's so beautiful. That's why the guy doing the computer, Regan, is just as important as I am. <laughs> the pastor preaching. Why? Because he's got the same Holy Spirit than I do. I just have a different function. The same person greeting you at the door, spraying your hands. It's just as spiritful as I am. And so, God is shifting us back to a biblical understanding that we have different functions but the one isn't more important than the other. But we understand those functions and we live in respect to those, fountain, those functions. And listen to this, to this in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. It says, hold fast your confession. So first there was a laying on of hands. There was a sending. There was a releasing. And that's what we're going to do over all of you tonight. So get the oil. We're going to be ready. Okay. We have to hurry up. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. So, it talks about how you enter in, because of the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. There's a boldness to come to him, boldness to worship him, boldness for you to have a relationship with him. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, so he's just talking about this deep intimacy with God, this deep relationship with God, this deep freedom and boldness to worship him. And then he says, but, but when you're there, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Seems like I'm just entering with this boldness into the throne of God. I'm worshipping Him. And He says, when you're there, let us consider one another. It's not just about you and how you experience God and you go tell the whole world and then you put your name on that ministry because it's about your testimony. It's about... And I always fight with the mission teams when they come back. I say, you can share a testimony in two ways. One way is to impress people, to show them how good you are. Another one is to impart to them what God has done in your life. And say, hey, if God can do it in my life, He can do it in yours. So I can be a blessing with the testimonies I share, or I can just try to strive and compete because, hey, I'm a super Christian. <laughs> and you know, many times, you know, we hear a lot of testimonies and I... And I and most of them are great. They're fantastic. But we should also tell the testimonies of when we failed, Uri. Because I, I can tell you many. I love this one of Smith Wigglesworth where they said, you have raised so many people from the dead. He said, well, if you prayed for so many dead corpses as I did, some of them must raise from the dead, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking like, he's never stopped praying, you know. I prayed for people for healing and then they died. They got worse. Then I prayed for he people with he for healing and their ears opened up and the deaf and the mute spoke and Wow. But not everybody got healed. But I'm not going to stop praying. Because I'm not forming my doctrine around my experiences. I'm forming my faith and my doctrine around what Jesus says. 
because he's the healer, but he told me to lay hands on the sick and to pray. So I'm not going to stop. If it fails, it's my fault. If it's sharp, sharp, it's his fault. <laughs> okay, if it works. But he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There's many Christians that are wavering. There are many Christians that are looking to what's happening around them. But hold fast to the confession, to what you say in your mouth. Because he is faithful. We, we're speaking about stirring each other up. He's faithful for the promise that he said he will do it. He will do it in South Africa. And then he says, let us consider one another. Because they're in God's presence. You must have a confession. What is your confession? What, what, what do you say when you're before God? Oh God, have you seen? You know, some, some people, sometimes when we come to God, it's like as if we want to give God a news report of what's going on in the world. Oh Lord, have you noticed what is happening in Jeanette's life? Lord, have you noticed in what a bad state this country is? Then we come full of self-pities. We, come, we, we try to inform God as if he doesn't know. <laughs> You know, there was this one guy, I've told this story many times, that changed my prayer life. He was used in um, Uganda and later in Kenya with massive revivals. They actually had to flee for their lives into the mountains and for months pray. And he's, he's, um, he said for the first month, he was just moaning and complaining and telling God what was going wrong. And uh, then one day God asked him audibly, he said, John, if you... If you think, do you think I need counseling? I need counsel. And he says, Lord, never. You're God. You know everything. He says, John, do you think I need counseling? I need counsel. He says, Lord, no, no, no. <laughs> never. Three times. Three times the Lord asked him. After the third time, he realized he's in trouble. Because if God asks you the same question, and you answer him, but you answer the wrong answer, then it means like, yeah? Oh, he wants to tell you something, yeah? <laughs> so he says, John, but why do you, every time when you come to me, you tell me what I must do, when I must do it, and how I must do it? Stop counseling me. Because what we do, if we pray faithless prayers, we draw God into our situation and then we make God as small as our situation. So hold fast to the confession of your faith. Hold fast to the promises that God has given you. When you stand before Him. Don't draw God, don't make Him small as if He is our genie. <laughs> As if he doesn't know. That's why it says, hey, God knows about all the things in your life, but seek you the first, the kingdom of God. So when your prayer life begins to say, Lord, I'm praying for Almiru, but what is on your heart for Almiru? <laughs> Show me what is for Peter and Zinia. What is their marriage about? Why have you called them? You know, I love it to do weddings. It's my hobbies over weekends. I've done almost 400 of them and attended another 100, okay? So I've been to many weddings, but I'm just, I just so love it when God gives a word of promise of why this couple is together. Because only God can fulfill. We can only be happy and fulfilled in God. But he says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So to exhort one another, it says, and that's why it's so important that you get together with other Christians now. 
don't forsake the assembling together because we have not been made to be isolated or individualistic. We need other Christians and like-minded Christians that will exhort, that will edify, that will build each other up. They will feel like, hey, what is God saying? What is His promises? But that will also keep us accountable to the confession of our faith. They will say, hey, Pierre, what did God say to you three years ago? Because we need to remind ourselves, you know. The Bible says remind God of His promises. Is that because God forgets? Uh-uh. Yeah, but it's because you forget. I forget. It's not like God is changing. It's just simply you need to remind Him so that you can be reminded. This is what Paul writes. He says, remind yourself. But more than that, consider one another. Stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together. Sure. Are you still with me? Okay, I'm, I'm just warming up here. Eh? There's no amens. Hallelujah, but it's going to come. Or is it, hey, no, I don't know. But in any case, let's just go for it. And so, so part of the first church was this very simple thing called the spirit of prophecy. Now, prophecy manifests in different ways, but there's, the, there's a gift of prophecy. There's the office of the prophet. I'm not talking about prophetic presbytery or the office of the prophet or the gifts of the father, that there's also a prophecy. I'm going to talk specifically about the gift of prophecy, which is one of the nine gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a spirit-filled church and we say that we're not ashamed of the fact that God moves with the word of knowledge and the gifts of, fa the gifts of healings, faith. If you don't know what that is, go and read it. We are not a reformed church that is in to deep theology that says that first church needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are a spirit-full, Bible-believing church. And we say we are full of the Holy Spirit and we want to move with the Holy Spirit because it's only when we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that we can cry out, Abba, Father. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll fall into religion. Nothing against Reformed theology, but hey, if you're going to live by the law, the law and the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Go read the book of Galatians. Go read the book of Romans. Go, go see what it's about. It's about life in the Spirit. You cannot have the mind of Christ without the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying it's about talking in tongues some or other time 10 years ago and then you think, like, I'm Spirit-filled. I'm better than the Baptist people around the corner. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Spirit-filled lifestyle. Where you rely on the Holy Spirit is your helper. The Word is a paracletos. The one who comes alongside you. Who gives you dreams in the middle of the night. Who shows you things because you have the mind of Christ. Amen? Because you're excited. He gives you. He's like the strength inside of you. And so Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. He doesn't say, desire love and pursue spiritual gifts. We don't pursue spiritual gifts. We pursue love. But we desire to be used by God. Why? Because the gifts are there to edify the church. The gifts are there to build up the church. Now he says, For you who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mystery. He's speaking about the, the individual speaking to God. It's between that person and God. It's not about the gifts in the church. And then he says, But you prophesies, meaning the gifts in the church, the function of when the church begins to minister in those gifts. That's what the whole 1 Corinthians 14 is about. Bringing order to a church that are already practicing the gifts. Some of them were 
prophesying 40 minutes at a time. He says, no, 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 prophesy and let it be, you know, just get order because these guys were very excited in the church and they were really spiritful and they were prophesying and laying hands. He says like, whoa, 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 just like keep calm, especially when the unbelievers come in, you know, just get some order to the way you do things. That's what the whole book of Corinthians is about. But he says in verse 3, but you prophesy speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Meaning that when we allow the Holy Spirit to <clears throat> begin to release that which Paul, which Paul prayed over Timothy. He says, I, I see a gift in you. And this is not a natural gifting because, hey, you have some muscles. And I think like, oh, you, you should go gym or you should be like this or whatever. It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. He says, I'm persuaded because I saw something in you, Timothy. I, I, I saw that faith. I, I've realized there's a gifting that God wants to release in your life. There's something special is placed inside of you. And, and God wants to release that. And we as a body of Christians are there to release it in your life. And so scripture even says that when we come together, each one has a psalm. Each one has a gift. Each one has a prophecy. Each one has something to bring. That's what the church is about. Um, can, I, can I throw you a little bit here? A challenge. Before you come to church on a Sunday, ask God in the week what the sermon is going to be about. Because a true spiritual church, everyone that will come to church will already know what the sermon is about. Not because you've downloaded the pastor's sermons and he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm on his local blog, you know, I know. Because the Holy Spirit will tell her. Remember, there's a lady, Trish, she's that live village. One day they, I was like really struggling and I had like three sermons prepared. And I was thinking like, ugh, and I decided on this one sermon. You know, and I thought like, okay, this is the sermon. I felt peace about this sermon. And so I did. Now, I, I'm not a, a teacher, teacher where I write out every word like some teachers do. Some guys are really like, I, did, I, I just write the outline with the scriptures and pray over it. And say, Lord, come and change me so that, you know, whatever you do in my life, you know. So I'm just, I'm just sharing my burden most of the time with other people, you know. It's not like, I'm just saying, Lord, I don't want to carry this alone that you're sharing with me. Let me just share it with them, you know. At least, hallelujah, then we can all suffer together. But so, um, <laughs> you know, so here I'm standing and I'm still not 100% sure. So in the worship, Trish comes walking up to me. She says, yes, I, I, I don't know, but, but I just, last night I had a dream. Woke up in the middle of the dream. And I wrote down this sermon. This is the main scripture, Hebrews 10, verse 17 to 19. And um, this is the outline of the sermon. I, I don't know. I wrote it on the piece of paper. And I just felt I had to come and give it to you. So I look at the sermon and I think like, this is exactly the sermon that I chose with the outline, with the script. I actually double checked. I just checked if I got all the scriptures. You know, it's like, What? Four points, sure. And I'm thinking like, Lord, you're not confused. Because we have the same spirit. I'm not a super, superman spirit, you know. <laughs> Floating on the cloud and drinking tea with uh, angels quarter past 11 every morning, you know. Sorry, that slot is taken. But what do we do when we become a spiritful believers is we begin to release life over each other. We begin to speak prophetic words. And remember, prophecy is not fortune telling, it's forth telling. 
And prophecy is always confirmation of something that somebody already knows. We don't become fortune tellers to people. Because there's a lot of people running around, but they're doing fortune telling in the church. Oh, pastor, give me a word, you know. I want to know what the will of the Lord is. I say, no, I'm not going to give you any word. You go to God yourself. You go and ask him yourself. And all I can do is I can confirm whether it's biblical what you're hearing. And I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. But I am not your fortune cookie. Sorry. But there's moments when, when we entrust relationships that Paul lays a hands on Timothy. He says, those words that I've spoken over you, I remind you to stir up. By the laying on of my hands. And we see it so beautifully in scripture how people laid hands on each other. Don't be quick to lay, lay hands on and especially don't be quick that strangers lay hands on you. But when you're in a trust environment of relationships in your small group, let people lay hands on you. Pray. Take a word to small group. Take a word with, say, hey, I really believe this is what God is saying. Because now you're beginning to stir. You're beginning to say, and it's all right if you make a mistake. It's all right because where are we going to learn if we don't make mistakes? I've made terrible mistakes. But if it's in love, we repent and we move on. Somebody said to me, no, no, you're a false prophet because in the Old Testament people were stoned when they missed prophet. I said, I've never given myself out as a prophet. And I don't want to be a prophet. But the gift of prophecy is different. That should be in the heart of believers. And so what does it do? It edifies those three things. It exhorts and it comforts. And this is where we're going to end and pray for each other. It builds each other up. What is edification? It enlightens and strengthens the church. Increase in knowledge and habits of grace. I love that. To release grace. What is grace? Not a ticket for sinning. Grace is an enablement to do what God has called you to do. Grace is like the petrol in the petrol tank. Grace is not a ticket for sinning. Say, oh yeah, the Lord is just going to forgive me. No, it's not, a, it's not an excuse for sinning. But it's an enablement to do His will. We all need His grace. <laughs> the Lord says, uh, yeah, Paul says, take away, Lord, this thorn in my flesh. And God says, no, but my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, I'm made strong. We're all dependent on God and it should never change. There's certain stuff in your life where you need God so much. By the way, for everything, you need God so much. You can't do it yourself. You can't do Christianity yourself. It's not a religion. It's not a man-made religion with rules. It's a relationship. <laughs> Exhortation. Is to, it urges the motives for a holy life. Bring urgency and quicken them in exercise of urgency. To stir somebody up. To exhort somebody who says, come on. Wake up. Get ready. Get your act together. <laughs> now we don't like that. You're passive and you're wasting God's time. <gasps> I've had people say that to me. I think, what? I said this morning, you know, one of those moments, there's a table at the UK, London, Heathrow Airport, where myself and um Angus sat down for an hour and a half and he gave me a lowdown. I thought I was, I just sat there because we traveled together for two weeks and then I was going on to Sweden, sat me down, he said, the other two guys must go and he sat me down at that table, he says, you will never do this again. I said, what? I thought, breathing, I don't know what, you know, he says, you will never do this again, you'll never travel alone, the temptations are too big, you don't go from a trip of two weeks for another week, and then he started. So, in the meantime, I want to just take a break and order a coffee. And he says, and I'm sort of like, just like, oh, this is so tense, you know. <laughs> and so just before I may, you know, open up my mouth, he says, 
No, don't back chat me. You know, you're not even 40 and you, you want to back chat me. And he repeats everything. I said, I'm not even, even going to breathe. You know? <laughs> but at that little table in Heathrow Airport, every time I walk past it, I said yes to walking in the light for somebody that loves me enough to tell me that I need to straighten out my life. So you'll never see me travel alone somewhere. You'll never see me counsel a lady alone. You'll see me. Why? Because somebody cared enough for me to speak over my life and say, I'm holding you to account. Wake up. You, you, you're going to lose your salvation. I've seen many men of God go there and think, they're going to not be tempted. What? Oh. But what if we talk about your finances? What if we take your bank statement? Start to look at what you spend your life on. We don't like to share that with other people. But I've got news for you. God sees. <laughs> oh, God knows. But it's so liberating when you live with other people where you can walk in the light. You allow them to exhort you and to challenge you and say, urgency, urgency. Not drivenness, urgency. Be intentional about your relationships. Be urgent about your life. Or you'll waste your life. You think maybe, oh, I'm just 23. <laughs> I tell you. I still feel 23. But now I'm 29. Time flies when you're having fun, okay? Why are you laughing? Comfort. To present hope of the gospel in a time of trial. To support and uphold wounded and troubled spirits. Cheering on support. The paracletos, the Holy Spirit comes to be our comforter. To come alongside us to help. But to help us to uphold wounded and troubled spirits. Many people are being troubled. Many people are depressed. Many people are oppressed. Many people feel isolated at this time. So more than ever we need to encourage each other. We need to comfort each other. But only through God's words. Only when we release God's. I, many times I feel like, oh, I'm in a dead end. I don't know what to do anymore. And you know what? Then out of the blue, somewhere, somebody would send me a word and say, I just want to encourage you with this and this and this. God has seen. And I think like, wow. All across the globe, from Indonesia, you're sending me a word that is straight, spot on encouragement from the Lord. So don't, don't be shy to ask God for encouragement. Sometimes you're going to feel down. Sometimes you're not going to see the way out. But that's why running with other people that are like-minded. But it also means that sometimes we must move some people out of that center circle that toxify your mind and your emotions by what they talk. I'm not saying reject people. But there's sometimes some people we must... Just move on a little bit. You know, it says about Jesus, and Jesus did not commit his heart to them because he knew what was in their hearts. Jesus did, just didn't commit himself to everyone because he knew some people had wicked intentions. Doesn't mean they can't be saved. But you need to have proper boundaries in your relationships and be intentional about your relationships and share it and pray for each other. So I said it, you know. If you have half an hour to live and you have seven WhatsApps, the only thing they can do is pray for you. Who would be those seven people that you send those WhatsApps to? They can't send a helicopter. They can't come and rescue you. The only thing they can do is pray. Who would those seven people be? 
，然后是谁打灯 ？Joyce Meyer。The real question is, how many of those people would put you on their list? Most Christians cannot even put one, and so we need a change in our culture of what real relationship is. This generation is the most isolated and lonely generation that has ever lived. They're looking for authentic relationship. They're looking for true identity in Christ and a place of belonging, but nothing fake. So we need to give them Jesus. We need to become vulnerable. We need to begin to show them who Christ is and what He's done in our lives, but it's not a religion we're giving them. Discipleship is intentional; it's urgent, and it will take you a lot of time. It will cost you your life. Why? Because you need to live a life. You know, I preached this morning. Then in our lunch, we had 40 leaders, all the elders with their couples, with their children, all the family, small group leaders, finished at. Ten minutes before four, rushed off, went to pick up Yechens, prayed, started here at five o'clock. Goof. But you know, my life is my own. Uh-uh. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Does it reflect in your time? No, no, no. I give him thirty seconds. You know, every day and every morning. The rest of my life is my own. And sometimes on church, I go on weekends. I don't know who's your Lord. Because most Christians, if you ask them go to India, they will never go. I'm not talking about a short-term mission trip. I'm talking about like, <laughs> no, 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 Lord, you haven't called me to do that ever. There's a cost involved, but it's so amazing when you say yes, and you realize that in it's only in your calling, the way God has made you, that you'll be fulfilled. You will be the most oppressed, frustrated Christian ever, trying to perform with God until you say yes. To the anointing of God on your life and to shaping your character, because character is not given; it's not a gift from God. Character is formed by other believers around you. That's going to offend you. That's going to challenge you. That's going to not be the same. They don't believe. Ah, but you need to come alongside, exhort, comfort, edify. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.